Hello and welcome to Ruminations. In in these podcasts we will delve into the orchard or what's called the Pardes method of Torah study. Pardes standing for Peshat, the straight meaning of the text. Remez, when a verse uh, alludes to another. Drosh, when we get the deeper meaning of the text, and then the sod, which is the secret things, or the hidden things. In these podcasts, we'll fe- I'll feature a rumination, which I discovered on a website, uh, Bereans Online, and they're very poignant and very to the point. They're connected to the weekly Torah portions. And rumination simply means to think on this one point, like to meditate on it, as the Psalms writes in the book of Psalms. So I will begin with this week's rumination, and it is, If he called, would you know his voice? The account of Shmuel in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel makes a nice children's story. Of course, Samuel lived in quiet times. Quiet times with regard to Hashem speaking, that is. He lived in the days of the judges, when each man did what was right in his own eyes. It was in those dark days that Samuel first heard Hashem speak. At first he did not know Hashem's voice. After the third trip to Eli, the elderly priest helped Samuel understand that it was Hashem himself speaking to the young boy. It brings up an interesting question for those of us who live in dark times. How would we know Hashem's voice if he were to break the silence and speak to us? The scriptures tell us that in such times as this, deception is always lurking in the shadows, ready to deceive even the elect. How can we know? How can we be sure? It's actually easy. If you have embraced the Torah of Hashem as a mark of your discipleship to Messiah, then you're in a far safer place than some of our brothers and sisters. You see... You can tell Hashem's voice by what He will not say. He will never turn you away from His loving instructions in Scripture. If you want to recognize His voice, always remember this. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For Hashem your God is testing you to know whether you love Hashem your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after Hashem your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. 
you shall serve him and hold fast to him. And that's Deuteronomy 12, 32 through 13, verse 4. When he calls, will you know his voice? There are many today who say that they hear the voice of God. Who say that, oh, he speaks to me all the time. And while all the while they discount the very revelation of Hashem from Sinai, the giving of the Torah. As it was stated in this rumination, he will never lead you away from his loving instructions. The word Torah in and of itself simply means to hit the mark. And sin, which is the Hebrew word kata, means to miss the mark, to go in the opposite direction. Hashem never contradicts his word, never. Always remember that. That's so important, especially today, when there are so many voices, so many different religions out there proclaiming that they have the truth, and yet all the while they say that we don't need the Torah anymore. You know, this is falsehood. The basis for any sound teaching must be the Torah. It cannot be anything else. It cannot be something that is that is so-called new. Our Messiah lived a life of obedience to the Torah. None of his words were ever in contradiction or in opposition to the words that were spoken at Sinai 3,500 years ago to the Jewish people who were, mind you, entrusted with the oracles, plural, of God, and who have faithfully kept them ever since. Judaism is not merely a religion, but it is a way of life. It's a way of life that emerged from obedience to Hashem's instructions, to Hashem's way. There is no other way that is known or, has, or that has been given to man the medieval commentator Rashi comments on Genesis 1-1 when he says it is the beginning of his way and Israel the first of his crop. So from the very first verse in the Torah to, the, to its last words are all the revelation of Hashem. The first four books are his instructions. And the last book is Moshe recounting it, which earned its earned the name uh, Mishnah Torah, a repetition, because Moshe repeated every single thing that Hashem ever said to a gener to that generation that was about to enter into the Promised Land. And then, and then we have in the book. Uh, Handbook of Jewish Thought, first volume, on page 121. This is chapter 7 on the Torah. The Torah is the foundation of Judaism. Without it, Judaism cannot exist. God revealed the Torah through Moshe. It is thus written, Moshe commanded us the Torah, an inheritance to the congregation of Jacob. Deuteronomy 33.4 it It's a foundation of our faith. 
to believe that Moses was the greatest of all prophets, both past and future. It is thus written, There has not arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom God knew face to face. And that is a quote from Moray Nebuchadnezzar 239. And then the second footnote uh, from the 13 Principles of Faith, the Ramban, uh, Rabbi Moshe Maimonides. Moses was given greater, was even greater in this respect than the Messiah. Yad Teshuvah 9.2 The revelation of Moses was unique. It differed from all other prophecy, both quantitatively and qualitatively. Moreover, Moses was the first prophet with a message for others. Moses was therefore born with the capacity for great spiritual accomplishment. Regarding his birth, it is written, his mother saw that he was good. Exodus 2.2 Moses made use of his inherent spiritual gifts to negate himself completely before God. It is thus written, the man Moses was very humble more so than any man on the face of the earth. Numbers 12, verse 3. Since Moses' personality was completely non-existent before God, his physical nature no longer acted as a barrier between him and God. Moses' revelation was therefore of a direct nature. As it is taught, all prophets saw through a dual, a dull glass. But Moshe saw through a clear, brilliant glass. The Talmud, the um, the disciple uh, Paul, as most known, uh, but by his Hebrew name Shaul, said in Ephesians that we see through a glass darkly. We we cannot even come close to the perception that Moshe possessed because of his self-nullification. And the Hebrew word is betul, which means to nullify. Therefore, unlike other prophets, Moses received his revelation clearly, not masked, masked by symbolism. God thus said, I speak to Moses mouth to mouth, Manifestly and not in allegory. Numbers 12, verse 8. Unlike other prophets, Moses would receive his revelation while wide awake and in full command of his senses. God thus said, When I, God, speak through one of you, I will speak with him in a dream. Not so, my servant Moshe. Numbers 12, 6. Unlike other prophets, Moses did not experience God's revelation as an overwhelming occurrence. It is thus written, God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Exodus thirty-three, eleven. Unlike other prophets, Moses was always in a potential state of prophecy. He could therefore receive God's revelation at will. It is thus written, when Moses went into the tent of meeting, the Elhel Moed, he heard the voice speaking to him. Number 789. When asked an opinion, Moses was able to answer, Stand by and let me hear what instructions God 
gives regarding you. Numbers 8, 9. Moses was able to receive revelation from God at any time and in any place. Unlike other prophets whose revelation was limited, Moses had access to all the gates of wisdom. God had thus promised him, I will make all my benefits pass before you. Other translations read, All my goodness. And that's Exodus 34:19. God likewise said, Moses is entrusted in all my house. Numbers 12, 7. Moses was therefore the master of all the prophets. All other prophecies are alluded to in the Torah. God even revealed to Moses many future speculations and discussions surrounding the Torah. It is the foundation of our faith that the entire Torah, both written and oral, was revealed to Moshe by God. Moses performed greater miracles than any other prophet. Still, it is not because of miracles that we believe his revelation, but because God himself bore witness that Moshe was the bearer of his word. God thus told Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and they will believe in you forever. Exodus 19.9 The authority of the Torah does not come from any miracle, but from God himself. It should be interesting to note that the Torah was given in the presence of an entire nation all at once, not in private. A lot of religions get their start in private by a single man, demanding that they follow him and his way of doing things. This is what separates the Torah from everything else. It is God alone who speaks. And because of Moshe's faithfulness in bringing down the Torah and delivering it to Israel, is what sets it apart. It is the foundation of our faith to believe in the eternal authority of the Torah. It is thus written, things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Deuteronomy 29.38 Just as God himself does not change, and this bears repeating or <laughs> emphasizing, just as God himself does not change, so the Torah which is his eternal testimony to Israel, cannot be changed. Moses thus said, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor shall you subtract from it. You must keep the commandments of God your Lord, which I command you. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. Therefore, no commandment of the Torah can ever be abrogated or changed. The Torah scrolls that we have today are exactly the same as the Torah given to Moshe by God. The Torah consists of five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in Hebrew it's Breshit, Shmot, Vayigra, Bamidbar, and Devarim. It is a foundation of our faith that every word of the Torah was dictated by Moses to Moses by God. 
A person who denies the divine origin of a of even a single word or variant spelling or reading in the Torah is considered a non-believer who has no portion in the world to come. To you who think that the Torah is done away with, you are considered a non-believer if you do not believe in its divinity. Concerning such a person, it is written because he has despised God's word. His soul shall be utterly cut off. His sin shall remain upon him. Numbers 15.31 To know God's word is to bring atonement. It covers your sin, in other words. But But according to this, if you are separated from the community, then you will bear your sin. The entire Torah was therefore written by Moses as dictated by God. Much like a secretary that takes dictation uh, from her boss or employer. Uh, This included all the happenings recorded in it from the time of creation. Balaam was a prophet, and his prophecies are contained in the Torah. Nevertheless, they are written by Moses as dictated by God. Although the book of Deuteronomy is written as the testimony of Moses, every word in it was written at the express commandment of God. God dictated the book as if Moses himself were addressing the people. There is a controversy regarding the last eight verses of Deuteronomy 34, 5-12, which deal with Moses' death. Some authorities maintain that they were written by Moses himself at God's dictation. Others maintain that these verses were written by Joshua. Just before the revelation at Sinai, Moses wrote everything that had transpired up until that point. It is thus written, Moses wrote all of God's words, Exodus 24, verse 4. Before completing the covenant, he read this part of the Torah. As it is written, Moses took the book of the covenant and read it so that the people would hear. They said, Na'asevi nishma, a very famous uh, uh, part of that uh, part of the Torah all that God has spoken we will do and we will listen in other words they agreed to do without even hearing a single word after this God would call Moses to the tent of meeting the old hell Moed to dictate the Torah to him God would call Moses and Moses would acknowledge that he was ready God would dictate each passage of the Torah to Moses, and Moses would repeat it aloud. He would then write it down. God would dictate a paragraph to Moses and then give him a break in order to consider it. These breaks are preserved in the Torah in the form of spacings, dividing the text into paragraphs, parashiot. 
Moses would transcribe each of these portions as a small scroll. Shortly before his death, he combined all these portions to form the Torah that we have today. According to another opinion, however, with the exception of certain portions that were needed earlier, the entire Torah was preserved orally until just before Moses' death when he wrote it all down at once. Since parts of the Torah were not assembled until many years after they were given, they are not always in chronological order. However, wherever chronological order is ignored, there is something to be learned from the ordering in the Torah. According to some authorities, laws can even be derived from the ordering of the paragraphs in the Torah. With regard to the book of Deuteronomy, which was written all at once, this is a unanimous opinion. The entire Torah was given to Moshe during two, in, two intervals. The first part was given during the year after the Exodus. The rest was given shortly before Israel crossed the Jordan at the end of the 40 years in the desert. Between these two periods, there was a hiatus of 38 years during which no portion of the Torah was given. God always dictated the Torah as well as other books of the Bible in the language used by the people at the time. Before his death, Moshe wrote down 13 Torah scrolls. Twelve of these were given to the twelve tribes. The thirteenth was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. This was eventually deposited in the Holy of Holies in the Temple. The last Torah was the standard by which all other scrolls were judged. It was occasionally removed from the Ark for this purpose. There were times that this Torah was almost lost. A number of Israelite kings had attempted to uproot or change the teachings of the Torah. Thus, during the reign of Achaz, 3183-3199, or 578-562 BCE, many Torah scrolls were destroyed. Because of this, the Kohen priest hid the Torah written by Moshe in order to safeguard it. Later, during the reign of uh, Manasseh, 533 to 478 BCE, efforts to destroy the Torah were so successful that the existence of the Torah written by Moses had to be concealed from all but a dedicated few. It was only later during the reign of Josiah in 458 BCE that this Torah was found hidden in the temple. It is thus written, Kilkiah, the Kohen priest, found the book of God's Torah written in Moses' hand. And that's 2 Chronicles 34.14. King Yoshia used this as an occasion to rededicate the people to the observance of the Torah. When Jerusalem was in danger of invasion, King Yoshia hid the ark containing the original Torah and the tablets of the Ten Commandments. It was concealed in a catacomb that had been re- that had been prepared by King Solomon when he had first built the temple. It is still there today. During the Babylonian exile, 423 to 353 BCE, there were there was a decline in knowledge of the Torah. Intermarriage made headway, and many people forgot the Torah and its commandments. When Ezra and Nehemiah returned to the Holy Land, they restored the Torah to its original place. Ezra also wrote a letter 
perfect Torah scroll to be used as a standard. There are many more examples uh, that can be recited. Um, but the other thing I was looking at also today was uh, Orkaim and his commentary on the very first verse of Vayikra, where we have Vayikra El Moshe, Vayidaber Adonai Elav Me'ohel Me'od. And Adonai called to Moshe from the tent of meeting. And this is what Orkaim says. The sages addressed the reason it was necessary for the verse to mention the calling of Hashem to Moshe. And it was not sufficient to mention the speaking alone. Since the Torah mentions in other places that Hashem called to Moshe before speaking to him, why could we not have inferred from those places that the same thing happened here? Addressing this matter, the sages said in Torah's Kohanim to our verse that there are three places where the Torah mentions that there was a calling from Hashem to Moshe before his speaking to him. These are, one, at the burning bush, as it says in Shemot 3.4, God called out to him from amid the burning bush and said, Moshe, Moshe. Two, at Mount Sinai, as will be discussed below. And three, the Ohel Moed, as stated in our verse. But if it were not for our explicit verse, we could not have inferred that Hashem called to Moshe at the Ohel Moed from the fact that he called to him at the burning bush or from the fact that he called to him at Mount Sinai. We could not have inferred it from the calling at the burning bush for that had the distinction of being the first of all divine communications to Moshe. And we would not have inferred it from the calling of Mount Sinai, for that had the distinction of being addressed to all Jews. Since the commandments of the burning bush and Mount Sinai each had a unique quality that the communication in the Ohel Moed did not have, we could not have drawn an inference from either either of them to that of the Ohel Moed. For perhaps it was that unique quality that made each, each of those communications worthy of being preceded by a calling of Moshe's name. Nor can we derive the case of the Ohel Moed from the cases of the burning bush and Mount Sinai together through the common characteristic that it shares with both of them. For there is a refutation to that inference as well. What comparison can be made to the common characteristic of the communications at the burning bush and at Mount Sinai when these share another common characteristic, namely that they took place amid fire, which was not the case with regard to the communication in the Ohel Moed. Therefore, if our verse had not specified that Hashem called to Moshe before speaking to him in the Ohel Moed, we would not have been able to infer it from here, from there. This is a synopsis of the sages' words. 
So the Orkayim continues, uh, in the context of Mount Sinai, which verse represents Hashem's calling to Moshe before speaking to him? The Torah says three separate times that Hashem called to Moshe at Mount Sinai. Torah's Kohenim does not specify which of the three it is discussing. Now concerning that which the sages say that calling before speaking is mentioned in the context of Hashem's communication to Moshe at Mount Sinai. Rav Eliyahu Mizraki to our verse writes that it is referring either to the verse Shemot 24.16 He called to Moshe on the seventh day. And it reads in Hebrew, Vayikra el Moshe Bayom Hashvi'i. It's nearly identical, with the exception of Bayom Hashvi'i. See, which is followed by 25 verse 1 Hashem spoke to Moshe. Or to the verse. 1920, Hashem called to Moshe to the top of the mountain, which is followed by verse 21, Hashem said to Moshe, etc. But the sages surely do not mean to bring their proof from that verse. Verse 3, and Hashem called to him from the mountain, which is followed by the phrase to say, which is how Rabbanu Hillel on Torah's Kohanim explains the matter. For this verse is not stated in regard to a communication that took place with fire, as the events described there preceded Hashem's descent upon Mount Sinai in fire. And the Baresa says explicitly, what comparison can be made to the common characteristic of this communication of the communications at the burning bush and at Mount Sinai? when they share another common characteristic, namely that they took place amid fire, etc. Thus it must be referring to one of the other two verses, which describe events that took place after Hashem descended upon Mount Sinai in fire. Until here is a synopsis of Mizraki's opinion. Orkayim takes issue with Mizraki's assertion, but with all due respect, uh, to Rav Eliyahu Mizraki was not precise in this matter. For in fact, the lesson that the Torah's Kohanim means to derive from the verse is that Hashem called to Moshe for the specific purpose of giving him notice before speaking to him. And that lesson must be derived from the verse and Hashem called to him from the mountain as stated by Rabbanu Hillel. It cannot be from either of the two verses cited by Mizraki, for in the verse 24.16, he called to Moshe on the seventh day. And that's Exodus 24.16. That calling is not superfluous, i.e. it was not calling for the purpose of a subsequent speaking but was needed for its own purpose. As it means that Hashem summoned Moshe 
to ascend Mount Sinai and to remain on the mountain for forty days. As it is stated there, he called to Moshe on the seventh day, etc. And then, verse 18, Moshe arrived in the midst of the cloud and ascended the mountain, and Moshe was on the mountain for forty days and forty nights, indicating that Hashem had called him in order to summon him to the top of the mountain. Thus, the calling was not for the purpose of the communication recorded in 25 verse 1, but is written in place of a communication for by saying that Hashem called to Moshe. The Torah is telling us that Hashem commanded him to ascend the mountain. The calling that we are discussing, however, is a calling that is for the purpose of speaking and is specifically where the verse mentions both calling and speaking, which indicates that Hashem affectionately called to Moshe by name as a way of giving notice that he was about to speak with him. Likewise, the other verse cited by Mizraki, 19.20, Hashem called Moshe to the top of the mountain, does not contain a superfluous calling, as this calling was also for the purpose of summoning Moshe to ascend, for Moshe was standing at the bottom of the mountain at the time, and Hashem summoned him to ascend to the top of the mountain, and there he spoke to him. Had it not said, Hashem called Moshe, and had Hashem spoken to Moshe without calling him, he would have been speaking to him while he was at the bottom of the mountain. And we see that this was not the case as Hashem did not speak to him until after he ascended. How then can anyone's mouth or tongue suggest that, in this case, the Torah could have said only Hashem spoke to Moshe, without mentioning that he called to him, and that the phrase Hashem called Moshe must mean that he affectionately called Moses by name? In sum, neither of the verses cited by Mizraki can be the one to which Torah's Kohenim refers. But in the verse cited by Rabbanu Hillel, verse 3, And Hashem called to him from the mountain to say, So shall you say to the house of Yaakov, etc. We see that the calling was for no other purpose than to immediately say to him, So shall you say to the house of Yaakov, etc. It could not have been to summon him to the top of the mountain, for Hashem said these words to Moshe there while he was standing below the summit, without having him ascend any further. What then is the purpose of this calling? It can only be a prelude to the communication recorded afterward. Orkayim raises another objection to Mizraki's first suggesting that Torah's Kohenim refers to the verse, He called to Moshe on the seventh day, which is at the end of Parashah Mishpatim. According to Mizraki, it is a prelude to Hashem's communication to Moshe several verses later at the beginning of Parashah Terumah. As for that which the master Rav Eliyahu Mizraki relies on in citing the verse, uh, 
24, 16, he called to Moshe on the seventh day and asserting that this calling was for the purpose of speaking to Moshe. Namely, the fact that after saying he called to Moshe, etc., the Torah says in 25, 1 and 2, Hashem spoke to Moshe, speak to the children of Israel and let them take for me a donation which indicates that the calling mentioned earlier was a prelude to this speaking, this too is difficult. It appears as if the master lacked illumination of two verses containing two different subjects that separate between the calling mentioned in 2416 at the end of Mishpatim and the speaking mentioned in 25 verse 1 at the beginning of Terumah. One is the verse 2417, the appearance of the glory of Hashem was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop before the eyes of the children of Israel. And the second is the verse 18, Moshe arrived in the midst of the cloud and ascended the mountain, and Moshe was there on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. It is only after these two verses that the Torah says, 25 verse 1 Hashem spoke to Moshe to say speak to the children of Israel and let them take for me a donation this should be enough to make you aware of the truth of what we have written above that the calling mentioned in 2416 was not for the purpose of speaking to Moshe which is recorded in 25 verse 1 but for the purpose of his ascending the mountain and remaining there for 40 days which is recorded in 24 verse 18 and in fact we have no way of knowing that the next passage chapter 25 was set at that point in time at all for who says that this communication did not take place after Moshe had already been on the mountain for 40 for 20 or 30 days. Having proven that Rabbanu Hillel's approach is the correct one, Orkaim addresses Mizraki's objection to that approach. As for the fact that Mizraki rejected the opinion of Rabbanu Hillel, who said that the Beresa is referring to the verse, 19 verse 3, and Hashem called to him from the mountain by arguing that at that time, there was not yet any fire on the mountain. So this does not fit with what the sages say there in Torah's Kohanim. What comparison can be made to the common characteristic of the communications at the burning bush and at Mount Sinai when they share another common characteristic, namely that they took place amid fire, etc. This is not a difficulty. The matter Mizraki asked this only because he is of the opinion that the fire mentioned by the Bresa must be a fire that existed at the time of Hashem's calling to Moshe, and the fire was not yet there at the time of his calling. But in fact, that is not the case. For the intent of the Tana of the Beresa is merely that the prophecy had this additional element of fire. 
and that just as it had this advantage that it took place amid fire, which the Ohel Moed did not have, it also had the advantage of Hashem calling to Moshe, which perhaps the Ohel Moed did not have. Accordingly, even if there was not yet a fire there at the time of the calling, what of it? Why, at some point during that extended prophecy, i.e. when Hashem ultimately descended upon the mountain, there was a fire? And thus, this prophecy of Mount Sinai and the prophecy of the burning bush differed from the prophecy of the Ohel Moed, in which there was no fire at all. Accordingly, that difficulty raised by the Master regarding the approach of Rabbeinu Hillel is not difficult at all. And on the contrary, I am surprised that the difficulties that we have raised regarding his approach were not illuminated before his eyes. Moreover, if we accept Mizraki's uh, premise that only fire only a fire that existed at the time of Hashem's calling to Moshe is taken into consideration, then his approach will not help us either. Furthermore, even according to the words of Rav Eliyahu Mizraki, that the inferences from the other two verses, how can the Tana say that we cannot derive the communication of the Ohel Moed from the communication of the burning bush and Mount Sinai together since they have a common characteristic that the communication of the Ohel Moed does not have, namely that they took place amid fire? Why, according to Mizraki, there is another calling that does not share that common characteristic for the communication recorded in the earlier verse, verse 3, and Hashem call to him from the mountain to say, etc., did not take place amid fire. Thus, let us derive from that calling and the calling of the burning bush that there also was a calling at the Ohel Moed. We can derive this through the common characteristic that they possess, which is only that they were a communication from the mouth of the Holy One to Moshe, but not that they took place amid fire, since the earlier calling of Sinai did not involve fire. And since we see that in both of these cases, a calling preceded the speaking, and we can derive that when Hashem communicated with Moshe at the Ohel Moed as well, a calling preceded the speaking. Since the Beresa does not make this suggestion, it must be that all the communications at Sinai are considered to have taken place amid fire, and therefore we cannot derive communication at the Ohel Moed from any of those communications. This supports the approach of Rabbi Nuhalel and refutes Mizraki's objection to it. If anyone is willing to probe this difficulty regarding Mizraki's premise, he will see that it is powerful enough to break rocks. That's a Talmudic principle. Uh, even our master made such an illusion that if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it's a Talmudic dictum, meaning that you can break down arguments, which is basically what the Orkayim is doing here. You know, and of course, 
showing all due respect to uh, Eliyahu Mizraki. Okay, Orkani presents yet another difficulty with Mizraki's assertion that when it says in 19 verse 20 and 24 16 that Hashem called to Moshe, it means that he called to him in order to speak with him and not in order to summon him to the top of the mountain. And furthermore, according to uh, Rav Eliyahu Mizraki, why did the Torah have to tell us in three different verses in the single context of Hashem's communication at Sinai that calling preceded speaking. It should have been enough to say this once in that context, even if we will not count the verse and Hashem called to him from the mountain, 19 verse 3, as indicated by Mizraki. According to the opinion of the Master, there are still two verses in the context of the communication at Sinai that indicate that calling preceded speaking, i.e. 19 verse 20, 24 verse 16, and one of them should have sufficed. Why all the efforts of the Tana in Taurus Kohenim are devoted to finding an explanation for the superfluous clause, he called to Moshe, stated in our verse with regard to the Ohel Moed, which seemingly did not have to be said. But the difficulty is magnified according to Mizraki, since this clause is mentioned twice in the context of Hashem's communication at Sinai, for which we have no explanation at all. Based on all these questions, Mizraki's approach, or Kaim concludes, Rather, the words of the Master here are surely imprecise. But according to our explanation, which follows Rabbeinu Hillel, there is no place for any of these difficulties, nor of the one ones mentioned earlier. Accordingly, we may conclude that the actual inference of Torah's Kohenim that the calling preceded speaking at Mount Sinai is from the verse 19, verse 3, Exodus, and Hashem called to him from the mountain to say, So shall you say to the house of Yaakov, as explained by Rabbeinu Hillel. This is a reliable approach. And this is quite this is quite a lengthy discourse for uh, Avor Kaim on this subject alone that he called just on the first verse of Vayikra, you know Vayikra El Moshe. So, you can continue reading here the distinction of Hashem's commun- uh, communication at Mount Sinai. Or Kaim addresses a different point cited above from the Torah's Kohanim. Let us now address that which the sages said in the Baresa to explain why we cannot derive the communication at the Ohel Moer from that of Mount Sinai alone. If you say that the communication at Mount Sinai was preceded by calling, that is only because it was addressed to all Jews, can you say the same for the communication in the Ohel Moed, which was not addressed to all Jews? This seems to be a puzzling thing to say. 
for you will not find a single mitzvah that was not given to all Jews. How can the Tana say that the communication in Yohel Moed was not addressed to all Jews? Now the author of the work Korban Aharon on Torah's Kohenim explains that what the Baresa means is that Hashem communicated the Ten Commandments directly to all Jews. And therefore it was necessary that his, <clears throat> his voice should be manifested to them on a lesser level than the way he normally spoke uh, with Moshe. Therefore, in order that we should not think that Moshe also heard Hashem's voice on this lesser level, it says he called to Moshe to distinguish him from the rest of the people and to inform us that Hashem spoke to him on the customary voice while everyone else heard a lesser voice. And Moshe's level of prophecy was not diminished because of the rest of the Jews. Orkaim is not satisfied with the Korban Aharon's explanation. Now, according to this approach, we have to say that when the Baresa says that the communication at Mount Sinai was addressed to all Jews, it is as though the Tana is saying that because it was addressed to all Jews, Hashem had to distinguish Moshe from the rest of them. For the fact that the communication was to all Jews was not a positive quality that warranted a divine calling. On the contrary, it was a disadvantage. But these words are not acceptable to my mind, as this does not seem to be the plain meaning of the Baresa. Orkaim therefore explains the Baresa's point differently. Rather, what seems correct to me is that the Baresa means that Hashem's communication at Sinai had an advantage over other communications, and the advantage is that we find that Hashem distinguished his statements there from his statements elsewhere in that he did not communicate them to Moshe alone and have Moshe convey them to the Jewish people. Rather, they were spoken directly by the Most High to all Jews. Therefore, we cannot draw an inference from there to other places. For we may say that just as prophecy at Mount Sinai was distinguished from other prophecies in this respect, i.e. that Hashem spoke directly to all the Jewish people, so too perhaps it was distinguished with regard to this advantage of Hashem first calling to Moshe. From other communications that were spoken to Moshe alone and not conveyed by Hashem to all Jews. The fact that these communications were more limited would lead us to lead us to likewise say that they did not have this advantage of Hashem's calling to Moshe before speaking to him. Therefore, had our verse not stated that Hashem called to Moshe at the Ohel Moed, we would not have known this on the basis of the similar verse about Mount Sinai. In what situations did Hashem call to Moshe? Orkayim goes on to cite the next part of the Baresa and Torah's Kohenim after explaining why our verse had to specify that Hashem called to Moshe before speaking to him at, the, at this time in the Ohel Moed. The Baresa goes on to explain how we know that he called to him every time he spoke to him.
The Tana concludes further that in that Baresa, it might be brought, it might be thought that there was a calling only, only for this communication. From where do we know that there was a calling for all communications from Hashem to Moshe recorded in the Torah? This verse teaches teaches it to us by saying Hashem spoke to him from the Ohel Moed. This extra phrase indicates that Hashem called to Moshe whenever he spoke to him from the Ohel Moed, as well as in other places. Now I still might think that there, there was a calling only for communication that the Torah describes as speaking, vayi deber. Like the communication in our verse, from where do we know to include, as well as those communications that the Torah describes as saying, Vayomer, or commanding, Zive. Uh, the verse teaches, uh, teaches it to us by saying, speak, and he spoke. The extra wording comes to conclude, include sayings and commands as well, etc. Until here is a quote of Torah's Kohanim. Orkain focuses on the first part of the above paragraph that we might have thought that there was a calling only for this purpose, only for this particular communication. Now once our verse says that Hashem called to Moshe, we have three places in which such calling is mentioned at the burning bush, at Mount Sinai, and at the Ohel Moed. It would seem that from all three sources together, we should be able to derive that every one of Hashem's communications to Moshe was preceded by a calling. Orkaim explains why this is not so. The meaning of the words of Torah's Kohenim is that without additional proof from the verse, we could not draw an inference from the calling written in regard to the communications at the Ohel Moed, the burning bush, and Mount Sinai to any other communication, i.e. we could not assume that other communications were also preceded by a calling. And the reason is that each of these cases was unique in that it was Hashem's initial communication to Moshe in that place. But perhaps when speaking to Moshe again in the same location, Hashem would not call to him beforehand to teach us otherwise. The verse says from the Ohel Moed, which seems to be a superfluous statement, in order to tell us that any time that Hashem would speak to Moshe from the Ohel Moed, the speaking would be preceded by a calling. And although with this statement, the verse adds only the subsequent communication in the Ohel Moed, this establishes a general principle that we may now apply to all locations. For there is nothing more unique about the Ohel Moed than there is about Mount Sinai or the burning bush that would lead us to say that the calling that preceded subsequent communications was an, on account of that unique quality. Rather, once the Torah 
teaches that subsequent communications at the Ohel Moed were preceded by a calling, we learn that the same applied in the other locations where Hashem spoke to Moshe. Orkayim explains the second part of the paragraph in Torah's Kohanim cited above. The Baresa then goes on to say, based on this verse, I still would know only that there was a calling before communication that are described as speaking. For that is the implication of our verse, which begins, He called, and then says, And Hashem spoke to him. From where do I know that this is also the case with respect to prophecies that are introduced with the term, He said, or with an expression of commanding? Orkayim explains the basis for distinguishing between speaking and other forms of communication. Perhaps the point of Torah's Kohenim is that speaking implies a certain intensity on the part of the speaker, which is not the case for, for softer forms of communication that are described as saying, as saying or commanding. One might have thought that only the intense communication described as speaking warrants calling. From where will we know that these forms of, com- of communication to Moshe were also preceded by a calling? The Baresa in Torah's Kohanim concludes, The verse teaches it to us by saying, Speak, and he spoke. Orkaim explains this puzzling explana- uh, exposition. Now I saw that uh, uh, Ra Avad, in his commentary to Torah's Kohanim, has the following version of the text. The verse teaches, uh, teaches it to us by saying, Speak, and he spoke to say. According to this version of the Baresa, it is expounding on the otherwise superfluous a term to say stated in the phrase and Hashem spoke to him from the Ohel Moed to say which the Torah did not have to state once it says speak in the following verse you thus learn based on the extra term to say in the verse that it is coming to include the communications that are described as saying, meaning that they are t- that they too were uh, preceded by a calling, and the communications that are described as commanding are in the same category as those described as saying, since neither of them indicates intensity as speaking does. This explains Ra'avad's version of the text. But I saw that the author of the Korban Aharon challenged this uh, challenged this version of the text with the following question why did the Baresa say the verse teaches it to us by saying speak and he spoke to say when it should have said only the verse teaches it to us by saying and he spoke to say since the inference is from the term until here is a quote of Korban Aharon's challenge, but this is not difficult at all. 
for I have just explained the power of his exposition is from the repetition of the term speak, i.e., from the fact that the next verse says, Speak to the children of Israel. For otherwise, the term to say in our 